0: This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast number eighty seven. Uh with me in New York, Hiro Yuki Hamada. Hi yuki Hi, John. Uh, in Japan today, Johan Edibo. Hi, Johan. Good evening. Uh Varun Mather in India. Hi, Varun.
1: Hello, hello.
0: And Corey Morningstar in the greater Toronto area. Hi, Cory.
1: Hey, good morning.
0: Uh, so and I am, as usual, in chilly Norway, where it's uh, seven degrees or something right now. Appallingly cold spring and early summer so far. Uh, so there, there's a number of things to talk about. And and this is, I think, two weeks, roughly, since the last time um, we met. Let me look at that. No, a week. It's just a week ago. My goodness. Uh, but I know that uh, among the things that that we've been chatting about is the, in quotation marks, mental health crisis. Uh, we were also just discussing this. The, the, everything that we discuss falls under the the shadow of the climate agenda right now, it feels like, because the story out of Ireland that the government proposed um, killing 65,000 cows every year for three years to, to um, reduce emissions or something uh, having to do with climate, they don't seem to... Care about the war going on that they are part of, but never mind. Uh, uh, the absurdity is seems to be ever more obvious, and yet, and yet, clearly there is a massive propaganda uh, effort to to keep terrifying the public about imminent global catastrophe because of climate. Uh, But the mental health discussion is is something that came up, I know, on social media this week and is probably worth discussing. Uh, Because I will say, firstly, that if you you read the figures, statistics for the rise in mental health, and this goes back to 2018, Marsha, uh, Angel's, if that's how you pronounce her name, article in the New York Review of Books on the Mental Health Crisis. So this is already seven years old. Uh, the figures were quite dramatic. And we, the big three, bipolar, clinical depression, and schizophrenia, uh, represented sort of the definition of, of mental illness in, in one sense. But it, 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 it extends well beyond that the the model that has been entrenched now for 30 years at least is that mental illness is a result of chemical imbalance in the brain and that therefore it can be corrected with pharmaceuticals uh excuse me which of course just treat the symptoms if it if it even does that and that's Mm -hmm. highly doubtful frankly uh, the the fact that social power, social domination, capitalism might actually be the cause of mental pathologies never enters the public discourse at this point. And uh, but there, but this is a this is a colossally complicated discussion, and one that we could spend ten podcasts. And just scratch the surface. of, um, So, uh, but I will turn it over to you guys. Whoever wants to to enter in on any discussion, any topic that you choose would be fine. I, I could
2: just I could just yeah. tag on to you there a little bit because a way to to emphasize the complexity of the mental health health issue is to is to to address something we've talked about a little bit before which is the fact that, um, the interesting fact that every culture in a way has has its own peculiar way of of manifesting what's today framed and and actually commodified as mental illness. So as as you probably know, in the Middle Ages, the elite and the upper middle classes, they manifested psychosis, we would say today, by fearing they were actually made out of glass. And in, in tribal communities in Africa, you instead had an obsession to eat human flesh, as a, as a core manifestation of this abnormal psyche. And in our own, it seems to be various types of you of this cognitive disconnect from reality that is the the main fare of, of the abnormal psyche. So it's <clears throat> these observations make it obvious the culture is represented in the manifestation of the abnormal psychological state of the abnormal mental state. And thus also that the state can be actively formed, framed and shaped. And and, and that's uh, an important way, I think, it's a good way to approach mental illness under capitalism because we all suffer under alienation, which then is sort of funneled into accepting these pathologized identities, which serve to explain and make sense of our condition to such nonsense as the chemical imbalance myth, you know the the problem is internalized and placed at the individual level, and you're then made to to consume to purchase something to address the symptoms. So, so
0: yeah, yeah, that's
2: that's I think a good starting point.
0: Um, <clears throat> yeah, and and the uh, I have talked about this before certainly and written about it <clears throat> a lot on on. My blog that the the um, the evolution of of psychoanalysis of psychology uh, of of clinical treatment from say the time of Freud's original Vienna circle on to uh, contemporary kind of uh, the therapeutic culture you find in the United States. Uh, is, is worth underscoring again, because you, when, when psychoanalysis traveled across the Atlantic to the United States, it was medicalized, it was professionalized in a certain sense, lay uh, psychoanalysis disappeared. Uh, it was more firmly entrenched in the hands of, of Psychoanalytic priests, in a sense, uh, and it it fell prey to both American sociology and uh, a kind of accommodation to that, but also to uh, to the idea of adjustment. So Freud wanted to alleviate, and he always said that the best you could hope for was to to slightly, Uh, lessen the suffering of the individual that was it he never claimed you were going to be cured per se whatever that means Uh, but in the US it became adjustment you could make your life work better you could you could be more successful at your job uh, and and never mind that what you were adjusting to might be acutely irrational that that critique was left out. It was just, you would function better as a cog in the great machine. And uh, uh, that has only gotten worse and more kind of distorted. There were radical voices, people like R.D. Lang and, and Thomas Saz, and so forth that came up uh, with, with alternative ideas, but the prevailing, the prevailing uh, ideology of, new, of mental health treatment followed this brain chemistry uh, model this this template that said if we if we can find the right balance of chemicals in your brain uh, you the symptoms will disappear and this was you know extended more recently to the idea of mapping uh, the the electronic impulses in your brain and so forth, it became linked to artificial intelligence yeah, and transhumanism yeah, yeah. and all of these features because the basic, the basic model in place was one that was uh, this, this a product of scientism and, and positivism and so forth. And uh, the radical political nature of that original Vienna circle was completely forgotten. Mm and completely erased. Okay, Hiroyuki.
3: I mean there, there is a tendency of uh, the capitalist structure to uh, uh, cause uh crisis in general a, in many areas and then uh, use that as means to uh, uh, ask for complacency and uh, uh, manipulate and um, uh, dominate and exploit so uh, there's this uh larger framework of um uh, scheme going on so that that's something uh like Johan was uh saying uh, it's 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 important to put it in the context and uh, cuz it's really hard to talk about this because we um just talk about uh the insanity is um all around us and uh, this is a problematic and we have this and that then we're gonna validate the means in the uh, structure you know it's it's a it's a um yeah we we need to uh uh uh, do basically what we're (laughs) doing
0: (laughs) no i um yeah there's a few things i you one falls prey to, this is almost outside of the specifics of a mental health discussion, but one falls prey to uh, the necessity of using a language that has already been co-op and and the language carries with it secondary meanings and it's very hard to escape all that. It requires really rigorous, uh, uh, a a very careful and rigorous use of, of language and, um, and and text, I suppose. But Varun, you had your hand then, Johan? Yeah. I uh, just wanted. to, I mean, going ahead
4: from what Johan um, <clears throat> you know was saying, I think the subscription to like these universally accepted symbols are good and evil in that sense they have lost meaning because mythology has been destroyed in that sense. And it has been been replaced by signs and signifiers which are in control of the establishment. So the archetypal understanding of the individual of existence in that sense has been erased Mm -hmm. and of the group has been erased and has been replaced by system-induced signifiers. So that means that the understanding is very limited. And so therefore there is no... I mean, it kind of infiltrates how the individual and the group is relating to itself as well as existence at large. And that means that there is a shortfall. There is not a full expression of the individual and the group in that sense. And I I believe that is also quite a strong reason for why there is mental health problems Hmm. which are now being addressed by pharmaceuticals rather than (laughs) initiatory rights, which would... Yeah, also in the sense like the spectrum, also the spectrum of emotion and thought, like you were saying before, John, on the Telegram group, is also that's also been confined to a very strict box of what is acceptable and not. Right. And so, so there is no there is no self rectification model within society as it used to be because if you subscribe to a certain mythology of good versus evil and so on and so forth, then there is already inbuilt. In those systems of belief, of what is the procedure of rectifying the harmful content of, let's say, the shadow. But in the modern, in modern civilization, I think that that, gam, that game is run by the establishment. It's run by the education system. It's run by politicians. It's run by these icons that we see on on the media, rather than the rather than society itself. So that's
0: yeah. I want to say something about, but come back to this question of of the individual. And but um, but first, Johan. Okay, sure. Yeah, <clears throat> because I think what you're saying here, I think these are very important observations.
2: As I often say, when when you've said something in tandem like this. But first, John, you said that we're we're entrenched in a language that sort of reproduces these perspectives and these. Well, reductive views of the self and the world. And I we can connect this to to Cartesianism, which perhaps isn't the fountainhead of all of this, but manifests it in a very clear sense in this, as Wolfgang Schmidt terms it, the bifurcation of the, the qualitative and the quantitative realm. So that everything that's real after Descartes is basically something that can be quantitatively addressed, something abstract, the, the, something that can be counted and, and be, you know framed by number and and geometry. I mean the, the right, sense of right. quality sound and color and, and emotion it gets tossed out the window which also it finally renders this this reductive functionalist view of, of the human consciousness which we see in in the AI discourse. But you also said something about the, the initiation rite, which, in a sense, was a way to address the abnormal mental state in, in, in traditional cultures. And John Robert Bly wrote, I think, a book on this very subject matter. It's called Iron John, I think. And yeah, this notion that suffering is fruitful and can be addressed, that mental suffering is fruitful and can be addressed through, through appropriate rituals, I think that's something we could perhaps say something
0: about it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, um, uh, there's an interesting, com- I get actually some pretty interesting comments on my blog. And I I don't get that many, but the ones I get are rather good. And uh, <clears throat> somebody commented on the burden, the phallic burden post. Uh, and it's a very interesting comment. So, and well, I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, because it's relevant here but the other thing is something Varun said we're at this stage now in in at under advanced capitalism certainly in North America and and most of the EU let's say but in the I always think in terms of the US as as uh the best example and that is that because we've talked about this too the loss of reason people can't don't think very coherently. They don't, in general, because of the loss of education, screen habituation. Who knows or the myriad uh, sources of this problem? But people tend to not know how to critique things. Except it seems to me, anyway, at the most personal level, people personalize all arguments. So hmm. uh, you know, if you have. If you're having a discussion, I mean, and, and certainly social media is not very representative of reality, but never mind. Uh, you're having a conversation. People invariably will will turn it into a referendum on themselves. Uh, well, I have a lot of experience <laughs> in this, and and you know, I'm not somebody who blah 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 blah. And you think, but but this is we're not talking about you. We're, there's a political. <laughs> There is a political dimension here that seems you seem not to recognize. and uh, this this came up um, a number of times just this week with people um, and and it it goes along with an inability, it goes along with amnesia, with 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 a, a kind of historical amnesia. I some I said something about um, I think it was a post by Johan about this woman said something well I don't hate the rich you know because blah blah I said no you should always hate the rich I hate the rich mm-hmm. and somebody said well why that's you know that why do you hate the rich who do you consider the rich hmm. and I posted a a, a, little, a little wikipedia entry uh, on the slogan eat the rich which was very popular in the 60s and it meant it was an expression of anti-imperialist anti-capitalist um, anti-war uh, anti-establishment of sensibilities that's all and if the eat the rich uh, term came from Rousseau who said when when people finally have run out of all other food, they will eat the rich. I'm paraphrasing, but that was the point. Now, not only did nobody know the origin of that or the history of that slogan, which was popular in the 60s, once it was posted and they could read the entry, summarizing it, they still didn't understand it. It still made no sense to people. Well, I don't understand, what do you mean? Hate the Why should you hate the rich? Um, this, is, this is what I find constantly. And inability, I, it, it's like how, I don't know where to begin often explaining to people what something means because you have to go back to square one all the time. So fast forward to this other discussion about the personalizing of, of political topics. With, with traditional culture being wiped out, with communities being disbanded and dismantled, all collectives being discouraged, if not outlawed, people have been left with this strange uh, uh, sort of template of, of individuality, rugged individuality. And it goes along with identity politics, obviously, so that movements now lack increasingly lack a collective dimension. They increasingly lack a political dimension, it seems to me. And I, I've talked about this with, with um with 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 the trans movement, um, because I keep waiting for you know. The trans people against imperialism, for example, but I haven't found that yet. Uh, and and but it but it's but but it cuts across all groups. It, it, there is something that that has absolutely been lost in public discourse. In in and and it's it's the realm of the collective. It's a political perspective. It's the ability. To think in terms of a, of a political history, in a sense. Okay, everybody's hand is up. Corey, and then Brune, and then Hiroyuki.
1: Well, I remember that I posted this um, little meme or meme, as you call them, on Twitter maybe a year ago or two. And anyway, someone was really mad about it, really took offense to it. And um, really, really challenged it. Furious, actually, and i just going to read it. Lucy Parsons, let every dirty, lousy tramp arm himself with a revolver or a knife and lay in wait on the steps of the palaces of the rich and stab or shoot the owners as they come out. Let us pull them without mercy and let it be a war of extermination. And like back, you know, during... Um, Sort of that, you know, age of revolt when they were forming unions and and you know really fighting um, when communism was strong that type of thing, that was, um, not, you know that was those that could be considered a shared value right like right, also she right. said l- l- we must devastate the avenues where the wealthy live right and that was sort of understood at that time. Yes. Um, you know, whereas now it's like, oh, that's violent, that's violent, and yet these people completely um support and have no no problem with state violence. Right.
0: You no, know, it's like- astounding. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's
1: um, right. Uh, so they they think that's disgusting, and they say that's taken out of context that comment by persons, and yet now they they basically want to live on that avenue right, they imagine themselves living on that same avenue with the rich, right, yeah. They, they, yeah. they want to be part of that, they don't want to destroy it, they want to become, you know, part of it. Yeah,
0: no, well, I mean, every, I think that um, Hollywood is very quick to uh, instinctively appropriate trends out in the world, uh, and, and one of them has been the emergence of uh, series, limited series or, or ongoing um, dramatic series that is, and it's a term in Hollywood now, where they, they'll talk about these are aspirational dramas, meaning they take place in wealthy neighborhoods in big, beautiful, you know, houses you would see in architectural Digest and among the hot bourgeoisie people driving nice cars and going to private school, their kids go to private schools and so forth. These are aspirational dramas. Um, And and aspirational is um, uh, uh, a term actually, interestingly that came up in uh, the 16th century with, with the development of capitalism, 17th century rather in the early 1600s um along with ambition and productivity and words like that um but yeah it 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 is people no longer want equality they want to they they're fine with privilege as long as they're the people that have the privilege um uh hero up johan broon whoever wants to go next Every well, day. I just want
3: to uh, uh, comment on the uh, the uh, argument that uh, the personalization of uh, conversations, uh, all the uh, rage, um, the um, I, I think uh, there's a sense of frustration and uh, uh, helplessness uh, coming from the fact that the uh, social institutions are basically uh, compromised by the uh, domination of capital, uh, we not uh, address things unless it goes with the narratives, and when that happens, the other uh, social the social institutions are destroyed because uh, we lose the knowledge, wisdom, and all those things. So people are desperate in uh, hanging on to their positions uh, in the discourse, and, and at the same time, we have strong sense of um, Uh, The hierarchy imposed by the uh, authority establishment. So these two factors, I think, uh, are main driving forces uh, which create our arguments and, uh, uh, you know, people talking about Things And we end up unfriending, we end up um, not talking to, you know, this person or that person, uh, we create uh, factions and, uh, and of course those things are totally encouraged by the algorithm of the uh, social media platforms. So, you know, it's Bye. a tough situation.
0: Um, Johan and then
2: Baruch. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think these are these are interesting observations, and I mean we can we can kind of connect back to what we said earlier because there is a, as, as Corey said, the, the people in these discussions uh, regarding the the rich and identification with the rich and the, the power structure, I mean this is something we see we've seen, especially in, in, in these last three or four years during the, the COVID situation and all of that how how people identify with the power structure and how this is facilitated through myth. And in a sense, we, we see the same thing in how, mar- how how mental illness to some extent is a marketing construct because alienation is in some sense sold back to us to us through pharmaceuticals and through these these constructed these constructed categories of mental illness. And this is in a way, I mean it's, it's a creating of subject positions of, of identities geared towards these, these reproduc, this reproduction of, 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 the, of the power of capital uh, and, and of the power structure because yeah, I, I mean the DSM manuals, you know that they are in a sense a marketing apparatus for socially constructed categories of disease. And we can, we can connect uh, Louis Althusser to all of this because he doesn't really get into this, but, but he, he talks you know uh, about how, how the ideological state apparatuses facilitate the reproduction of the relations of production, but he never gets into how these also generate identity categories which then in turn cement the, the particular social structures that are geared to receive this ideological reproduction. So, so that's that's a fascinating aspect of the modern idea of mental illness, how something like bipolar disorder is a a vehicle for the reproduction of capital.
0: Right, right, right. I'm trying to look up this thing. I'm sort of all over the place here. Yeah, um, uh, Barun, let me go to you first and then I'll comment. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, I mean, this
4: aspirational model of identity, which is projected onto the public, it's never fulfilled by the individual. And I think that's a very strong reason for the frustration and the depression that exists, because it's now geared towards validation from the establishment for who it is as an individual. And that is never reached. It's continuously future hedging, and it's always wanting to fulfill a template and a role that has been prescribed. And it's always it's always out of reach, and it all it's always dependent on jumping through. Like Johan used the example of the last few years of this COVID narrative. It's always, in any circumstance, a certain set of rules and regulations that have to be followed, so that there is an identity validation, right? Like So there's this creation of false creation of this identity, which is never, it's never fully complete. And the idea of completion in that sense is already flawed because there is a continuum of existence. And so there, that in kind of, it kind of hints at how stratified the the structure itself is and how flawed it is in within which the individual has to function.
0: Um, yeah. it's it's interesting, I'm just looking at um, a number of quotes here that, that I have. Um, Bernard Stiegler is, is interesting on, on this topic and um, this may not be exactly relevant, but let me just read it quickly and then and then Johan, I want you to speak. Um, I forget what this is from actually, but anyways, Bernard Stiegler it says, everything that for individuals, Forms the horizon of their future, constituted by their pretensions, is outstripped, overtaken, and progressively replaced by automatic pretensions that are produced by intensive computing systems operating between one and four million times quicker than the nervous systems of psychic individuals. Disruption moves quicker than any will, whether individual or collective, from consumers to leaders whether political or economic, just as it overtakes individuals via digital doubles or profiles on the basis of which it satisfies desires they have most likely never experienced, but which are in reality, herd-like substitutes depriving individuals of their own existence by always preceding their will at the same time emptying them of meaning, while feeding the business models of the mm. data economy, so too disruption outstrips and overtakes social organizations. But the latter recognize this only after the fact, always too late. Close quote. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're room. I mean, not the room. Uh, Johan, you had to. No,
2: I, I didn't have my hand up, but I, I mean, we can. We can <laughs> connect this to the, I mean, to the, the general, the tendency to 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 like the medicalization of, 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 the, of the conscious of the conscious reality of the abnormal psyche in a sense this is the the extension of of the capitalism search for surplus value in every aspect of the human condition in uh, and, and, and general and i think we we could revisit ivan Illich's uh, 1970s work medical nemesis where, where he he explores this medical industrial complex as, <clears throat> as sort of the, both as a like sort of mythmaker for making sense of the modern condition and to frame human flourishing as a, as, a in, as an inherent good while also paving the way for this commodification of health
0: you know right right um i'm hold up. okay here we go <laughs> um so yeah hiroyuki
3: yeah i just wanted to say that uh your quote uh the, it was a great one I, I just um i i think that's um that's articulating the new dimension of the uh colonization of um social relations uh basically by the uh, capital uh it's uh um yeah it's 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 really insightful that's that's I, okay I, yeah, yeah. um
0: well I, we were we were talking before the podcast began about some of this and and just I wanted to get back to this idea of the the relationship between uh, mental health mental illness and Corian was mentioning the the prediction during COVID that there would be a, a huge dramatic increase in dementia, which apparently is happening. Um, there's also a huge increase uh, in ADHD in children. There was an article here in Norway about uh, uh, grammar school kids, junior high school kids, a huge increase in a uh, uh, attention problems and, and nervousness and inability to concentrate and is being blamed on the lockdowns, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and the increase in dementia seems to be happening as well. It's certainly Alzheimer's is certainly more, um, uh, present in, in, In Hollywood, in the entertainment industry, stories with dementia as a plot point have increased like a thousandfold. I don't know if that's just lazy TV writers because it's it's an easy dramatic subplot or if it reflects something else. But, But how all of this relates to artificial intelligence and transhumanism and this other agenda that's being marketed out there, uh, uh, to me is a is a very interesting uh, topic, so maybe we can get into that, Corey. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think it's interesting too, um, especially assisted suicide as an emerging market, right? And just how, if, if if all these things are too much for you to handle, you have an out and that will be probably made um, throughout the whole globe, which is basically being tested in Canada. I, I find it always fascinating how the think tanks and foundations are able to, um, you know, just completely shape us and mold our way of thinking and our ideologies and everything else it I think about all the time I can't really imagine it's hard to imagine what we would be like without that like what would it be like as we're we can probably discuss later without the media without the think tanks influence over our cultures right without the foundations um without the universities run by the foundations and think tanks But I want to read something from May about um, what's happening in Canada about this. Um, And we can call it, I mean, the sufferer here could be just a mentally ill person, like we've been talking about someone suffering from depression, what, what have you. So once killing the sufferer becomes a societally acceptable means for ending suffering, there becomes no end to the suffering that justifies human termination. We can see this phenomenon most vividly in Canada, Because it is happening there more quickly than in most cultures. For example, a recent poll found that 27% of Canadians polled strongly or moderately agree that euthanasia is acceptable for suffering caused by poverty. And 28% strongly or moderately agree that killing by doctors is acceptable for suffering caused by homelessness. And so... that's that's terrifying right that 30 percent of the population can actually think this is acceptable and not point the fingers saying how can we accept that our government has money um for wars and to kill people but not to take care of people right when we pay these huge taxes it's disgusting and amazing that they can get people to think this way
0: yeah that's 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 um, that's stunning you know but but I suppose ultimately not surprising um, we've we've seen it's it's strange you know um, first of all one has to always wonder how accurate polls are and so forth so there's that uh, but but it but it doesn't entirely surprise me there's a lot of people out there who know just how draconian and morally bankrupt that kind of thinking is. And yet um, this is also a, a good deal of the populace has been shaped by um, this kind of ruling class agenda that, that, that demonizes humanity in general. You know, we are parasites on the planet we are to blame for (laughs) phantom global warming we are to blame for pollution and and on and on and on apparently we are also the masses to blame for inequality it's just extraordinary Uh, (laughs) but this is this is if nothing else another example of this complete absence of class awareness people simply don't think in terms of the collective they certainly do not think in terms of class uh and and if they did aspirational tv dramas would not be so popular uh you would have shows about the reign of terror probably a lot more frequently um but but i think i think there is something else here which which has to do with with ai and and this whole mythology of science and uh scientism and I know Johan has a lot to say about this and has been thinking about it but but the the it goes but one aspect of it I I will just say very quickly has to do with uh, the fact that that the language is corrupted our language in general is corrupted to such a degree people can't even define consciousness nobody knows what consciousness is but but they believe that somehow magically if if your computer can eventually map the you know the neuron impulses the electrical impulses in a particular quadrant of your brain that they that machine that computer will then somehow be able to read your thoughts thoughts are not read that's not what a thought is that's not what consciousness is not what sentience is it's it's blindingly stupid, and yet it's enormously popular, this this train of, of thinking. Johan.
2: Sure, just to connect back to what you said earlier on, on transhumanism and AI and, and scientism, because I, I would argue that transhumanism is this quintessential commodification of the human condition we, we've talked about earlier tonight. So so. In transhumanism, the self as such becomes this commodity to be exploited, augmented and transformed by consumer preference, by by market choice. So in in a sense, on transhumanism, the life world of immediate experience of the human being becomes the commodity. And the contemporary AI discourse is sort of the other side of the coin here, because in the notion that AI somehow manifest subjectivity, manifest genuine consciousness akin to the human first person perspective. That's kind of the, the mirror image of the, of the transhumanist uh, end goal, the drive. The and sorry, there's a siren here, but what is and, that? Uh, it's an ambulance, uh, but it left now. So scientism that, that's okay. uh, just to give you a definition off the top of my head. That I say is technological capitalism's colonization of narratives of redemption and also the notion of truth. So, so it's a, yeah. Everything is sort of the same package.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I it it, it it is. I mean, I have written about this in a number of blog posts, and and it it is fascinating in a sense because it's almost. Like ground zero for um, for for contemporary mythology, sort of scientific mythology, mm-hmm. and and uh, it is it is also related to uh, the the what feels like the end game of of quantum physics and cosmology uh, because. Increasingly, if you read uh, uh, about different new theories about the Big Bang, about the origin of the universe, uh, string theory, the the, the 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 expanding universe, no, it's a contracting universe. So no, first it was expanding, then it was contracting, on and on and on and on this stuff, and it reads. It more and more it reads like early medieval Catholic theology. It sounds like uh, uh, Augustine and you know Basil and 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 Dun Scotus and, and it, I mean it. It also has a strangely unsettling Freudian aspect. I mean, just start with the Big Bang. They could call it the money shot. Uh, theory of the origin of the universe it's it's very strange and it is increasingly metaphoric this stuff uh and and probably allegorical as well and and if it seems to me that if you look at the the bedrock beliefs in transhumanism and people like Harari or whoever—all these futurists. What's his name? Ray Kurzweil or his name, uh, which is just idiotic stuff, actually. Uh, but it—but it is not just solipsistic. It is uh, uh, weirdly nihilistic, and and it is the it is a kind of strange validation of the death of humanness. And and the death of the humanities and the death of hmm. you know, human connectivity uh, is all seen as obsolete, and that that is somehow a good thing, because the future lies in this dismantling of the human hmm. corporeal body, uh, and and you know from artificial wounds to, to uh, <laughs> freezing yourself for future uh, thawing, what's that called, crinology? Um, it, it's just, I don't know, it's a very strange bankrupt kind of cul-de-sac, intellectual cul-de-sac that, that has gained enormous traction and popularity and is taken very seriously. Um, uh, whoever I can, everybody's hand is up so somebody talk. <laughs>
3: I'm, I'm just fascinated by fascinated by the, the fact that the uh, the this focus on mental illness has uh, definite um, um, uh, tendency uh, of the uh, uh, how the uh, capitalist trajectory is going. You know, the commodification, and also uh, we need population. Uh, that are degraded with mental illness in order to forward the agendas of AI, because, you know, people need to swallow all those problems. So it's um, um, it's 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 really uh, um, it, it's a dire situation, but at the same time, we can actually see uh, how things work, how things, uh, are put together uh, from this perspective.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, did we lose Corey somewhere along the way? Yeah, well, I think. A lot, like of, lot of disruptions to the feed here. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I I think that um, there there is. That a, that a lot of this stuff, the, the, those figures that Corey cited um, are really remarkable. I mean, if that's at all accurate, it, it reminds me of the, of the innocent men on death row who were exonerated mm-hmm. and people were unhappy about it. Um, this is blaming the victim. It's blaming, you know, it's criminalizing poverty as if, you uh, uh, but but again you know eat the rich is a slogan that no longer has any meaning for people uh, it's just not that and it i think that that i read a, another poll um, which i have no reason actually to disbelieve uh, it, it was i think a government poll in the united states anyway it was about sexual preference and that um, Uh, 7% of the entire population identified as um, uh, gay, lesbian or trans, which was up from 2% um, 10 years earlier. So it's a pretty dramatic increase. But more remarkable was that for those born after 1997, Gen X, I guess that would be, uh, something... Just over 20%, 20% identified as uh, gay, lesbian, trans, non-binary, whatever all the additional categories are. That's a huge, that's a huge number. And uh, it's worth pondering why that, why that, if that figure is right, why is it? why that dramatic increase. So I throw that one out to you.
2: Hmm. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're having a lot of dead air here, guys. Um, uh, Varun.
4: Yeah, sorry, I was just checking with Corey. She's saying that she's got booted off the internet and she's waiting to get reconnected.
0: Okay, great, thank you.
4: Okay. Um oh there's is, yeah
0: there's somebody connecting me. Okay. Um no I think that it I think there's something there's something very telling about about those figures and and obviously some of it is marketing um but I know from teachers in high schools uh both in the US here in Scandinavia that that those figures seem probably uh correct that that one in four high school students um, identifies as as non-binary. Uh, so, but I want other people's opinions about this. Yeah,
4: I see. The thing is also that, also in a lot of a uh, lot of mythology, also in Sufi mythology, in Hindu mythology, um, there is this idea of. Um, Combining, like it's called the sacred marriage, right? Like it's the combination of the sacred male and the sacred feminine, the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine. And the extent of establishment appropriation of such ideology or such mythology is very deep. And in the sense that to untangle for an individual within its community through mythology what it means when there is a presence of the sacred masculine and sacred feminine is very different from which basically creates the hermaphrodite in that sense Mm -hmm. right like the the god of creation and destruction and so on and so forth so there's a lot of very deep mythology involved in all of that but what we're witnessing now is a really degraded um establishment run kind of bad sideshow of something like that, right? Like it's, right, a, right, it's this right. kind of appropriation of this idea of the combination of the two things to create the to create the universe in that sense. So right. It, right. It, it kind of it kind of reeks of a lot of really bad readings of old texts, really, really terrible misunderstandings and understandings of how it's being read and you know so
0: if, I but it's know. always it's always it's always also an almost pathological narcissism that drives a lot of this stuff right it's not um when we, i talked earlier about arguments becoming personalized people can't discuss the, the political except from their own like personal desires or preferences or 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 hurts or something um, and and it it, it it this feels oddly, at least as you're seeing it in media, uh, it is almost firstly an expression of a deep misogyny. The the marketed version of of the trans movement feels like an attack on women, uh, and and I don't doubt that there is a legitimate secondary discourse here mm. but it is hard to tweeze it apart right mm. um, and 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 uh, it is not it is it is identity politics in the end it's not there's not a connection to you know NATO war in Russia there's no connection to microplastics in our drinking water there's no connection to anything except people's personal sense of desire and want. Johan?
2: Sure, just a quick observation, because I, I agree with what you're saying, but there's also a sense in which the the transsexual individual is the most radical embodiment of the key and core values of the transhumanist and, and secular scientific outlook, because he or she, it sort of embodies the most radical expression of, of this transformative notion, this Faustian idea of humanity transgressing its own boundaries, and that I think is a is a strong motivational factor in the the lives of the individuals that sort of embark on this path. I think.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's really interesting, really interesting, and. I don't have any great analysis to offer about it, but I do know that, boy, everything comes back to, to the Enlightenment, doesn't it? Um, hmm. uh, because if you read, you know, people should reread uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the okay. um, Robert Louis Stevenson. Um, because it's Stevenson is an extraordinary prose writer. First of all, read *Ebtide*, one of the most beautiful novels in English ever written, um, and one of Nabokov's favorites. But never mind. Uh, the *The uh, Jekyll and Hyde* is this warning about the hubris of science, and uh, but it's more than that. It's it's very uh, you know, uh, it's a complex book actually, and and. Uh, other people have. And Curtis White has a book, "The Science Delusion." I think it's called. I forget, uh, but you can look it up. Curtis White is is pretty sharp guy. Uh, there are obviously a number of other people who have who have addressed even Agamben. Uh, there is an, there is an awareness out there among the deeper thinkers that are left that that scientism has become uh, a corrosive feature of, of uh, 21st century life and that it, um, that it no longer even promises uh, liberation from, from suffering or oppression or anything else. It is, it now seems to be uh, a, a, a almost an expression, an embrace of of a very nihilistic uh, death wish of some sort. I don't know, I don't know, I'm just riffing here. Varun, and then Hiroyuki. Yeah. I mean, it's also
4: interesting to see that from the 70s and 80s and, and, the, and I mean, specifically dying into cinema, not just in Hollywood, but also even in India, in the sense that the hyper-macho male and the hyper-sexualized woman, how that was made into a trend and then consumerism kind of um, magnetized around it, right? And now there's this kind of amorphous mass, which is now starting to, I mean, the the statistics that you guys are discussing were just staggering in that sense, because then that means that there is a creation of this kind of amorphous mass, which has a complete loss of meaning unless it is given to it by the establishment. And that, that that the next step in that sense would be what I was referring to earlier a few days ago about the paper that came out of Oxford titled The Singleton and how cloud consciousness is going to run the planet eventually. So in the sense (laughs) that if you you take how powerless then that the public has become and that they're introducing ideas of birthing pods for having babies in your, you know, in your bedrooms, in your living rooms or whatever. I mean, these kind of things are kind of very neurotic, but they are also really scary and they're happening slowly, but they are happening. So yeah. on a larger trajectory of of how this identity is functioning, there is, like we were discussing before, a very severe destabilization of how the individual is, and Hiroyuki has spoken about this quite often, how the individual relates to other individuals or within the group or within the community and so on and so, forth. so that, that erasure has given complete control of how the public is going to behave and what it's going to think about itself and how it's going to relate to existence at large and that right. I think has I don't know I think people really need to start looking into that in their
0: own life to be honest. <clears throat> yeah um, youuki
3: yeah, um, I, I just wanted to uh, uh, Say that the uh, um, every time we have these focus uh, on um, certain aspect of the uh, uh, predicaments uh, we are facing, um, either gender or whatever, uh, we um, basically people are forced to find their positions in the uh, the bigger framework, instead of uh, uh, changing the whole structure into uh, something fundamentally different and fundamentally uh, respecting the social relations that are based on the interests of the people. So the, the lack of uh, class uh, consciousness, um, um, the seeing the structure that are working for the interests of the, ruling class is always um, um, doing this, doing this thing, like um, um, in order to control slaves, they would put certain people as um, uh, house slaves and the others are gonna be um, resentful for those people and the conversation become among ourselves. It's not about against the system that's causing all those things. So the focus on those things are always um, um, working in this mechanism of um, uh, control if you step back.
0: Well, if if people are blaming, I think euthanasia is acceptable for the suffering of homelessness and poverty, uh, then presumably uh, the homeless are to blame for their own homelessness. And, and but, but if that's the logic, <laughs> then uh, the most virtuous person in the world is Jeff Bezos, right? Uh, it, it's, there's something very strange mm going on there and well, oh, that, that's
3: that's that's exactly the the logic of the ruling class it's 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 perpetuating the structure by the uh sacrifice of those you know
0: yeah it's odd them. it's very odd i don't
3: know um johan
2: yeah and and uh, on virtue virtue virtuous jeff bezos as you said uh i w- i would argue that the transgender youth we see today in some sense i wouldn't Put them side by side, but in some sense, they're representative of of what you saw in 500 years ago with with kids going into convents, wanting to manifest the the highest values of their society. So I think it's it's a similar sort of social construction. That's
0: very interesting. Yeah, that's really a, I think an insightful point. Actually, um, yeah, I I don't know it it. it I find it increasingly difficult to separate one topic from another topic. Right? Uh, if if there's no anti-war movement, and uh, uh, the media is going to crucify Roger Waters, but is not going to crucify, I don't know, the Ukrainian Nazis, uh, mm. if if. Joe Biden is taken seriously as a, as a leader, you know, how it, there is there. Is, and, and the fact that the media social so, mainstream media so selectively focuses on certain stories. I mean, Hunter Biden's laptop uh, narrative is just, it's just kind of forgotten. It's just sort of put aside and yet you think, but wait a minute, this is the son of the president of the United States, and he's conducting illegal uh, business deals in Ukraine. And whatever happened to the Western-owned biolabs in Ukraine? we would forgotten mm-hmm. that story. And he's smoking crack with some skanky whore in a hotel room. That's all just okay somehow. It just is. It is compartmentalized as 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 I don't know what, but it is ignored, and yet people will become hysterical about Roger Waters performing some 30-year-old routine. I mean, I don't know. And at the same time, I read just just as a as a as a footnote. Uh, French connection was censored without anybody knowing about it. So objectionable language uh, from from Hackman's character uh, Popeye Doyle, which is, I mean, which is the very embodiment of his character is foul-mouthed, bigoted, racist asshole. But you're going to censor that because it's objectionable somehow. But Hunter Biden. Is not objectionable. biolabs labs in Ukraine. Why are there bio labs in Ukraine? Uh, that's not objectionable. The fact that the U.S. imperialist state is the is the force for disruption in the world, as Jimmy Dore said this week. You know, the U.S. are the terrorists, and it's absolutely true. There's, there's more blood on the hands of the U.S. state than than anyone anywhere probably in history and yet and yet mm. and yet uh you can't convince people that eat the rich is a is a reasonable yeah. idea <clears throat> um Corey, did you have something
1: mm, i was booted off for quite a while
0: yeah i saw that yeah yeah I'm glad
1: the, flaw- the flawless that i wanted to just talk about um science you know now science basically as the new god um you know the experts that type of thing and i came across some reading um i'll just read a little bit right here science has done more harm than good it can be seen um in the news through windows and in every aspect of life has become a destructive force that cannot be stopped because it's mankind's necessary evil for survival the tool of necessity has become a weapon of mass destruction because man does first consider um, does first consider the balance of life or the devastating after effects and how to fix them before it's too late um, as much as there's benefit, there should be control and moderation because science and technology has been a, di- a direct contributor to many man's problems, such as pollution, health problems, loss of empathy for each other, a lack of respect for nature, and its necessity for survival, depression, lack of morale, and ethical boundaries and violence. Man has lost control of science, and the onus is on him to regain this con- control because of the thirst for knowledge and the rapidly changing mindset of mankind can lead to its extinction. And so, again, it's just sort of like... Um, rewriting the narrative like science has caused so many of our problems and has led to this pollution and degradation of um, ecosystems um, and all these environmental problems. Um, our bodies polluted all these new diseases and yet we're propping it up is the answer to all of our problems.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable and um, I... I i think that um i think that one of the most surprising things to me over the last say since the vietnam war with the way in which propaganda marketing advertising the the control of media the consolidation of media that took place in 1997 and 2003 that the profound contraction of media ownership that took place uh, so that message is totally controlled uh, has been the absence of, of, uh, of a criticism directed at militarism. You simply don't see uh, anti-war movement uh, voices anymore. You don't hear them, you don't see them there is no mainstream criticism of militarism at all. I rarely see criticism of the defense budget really specifically about that. Uh, and, and the fact that the NATO expansion eastward provoking this conflict with Russia and sort of sacrificing Ukraine as, cannon fodder in this after first installing a corrupt regime. The U.S. foreign policy, in other words, wherever it is, is always, is always amoral and obscene. And yet, uh, this is the, the most impossible of topics to, to, to address. At... It's back. What is that? It's back. Um, it's the most impossible of topics to to address and 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 engage with people about it, it is perhaps because it is everything is operative on this personal level this the, the politics of the personal has completely obliterated the, the politics of the collective in any sense, I don't know I feel like I'm rambling um, Hiroyuki.
3: There's always uh, a campaigns to safeguard uh, any questions and uh, doubt about things. You know, we we have the uh, the uh, anti Russia uh, sentiment that's been cultivated for decades uh, would you know go against the, uh, uh, the anti militarism, and uh, we we have. Uh, um you know tendency to call people conspiracy theorists and uh, we also have uh tendency to call anything uh uh that's objectionable as uh uh trumper <laughs> you know you you say anything about um uh the the virus or uh the ukraine thing whatever you you you're deemed to be labeled and so these these are really packaged actively consciously by the media to um um as a weapon to you know y- use for the people who are not so sure about uh things they they would just uh take care of those things by those packaged campaigns you're a trumper you're a conspiracy theorist and uh, so it's it's a the the indoctrination is really deep. It's it's really deep and active and conscious, I think.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that um I think that a lot of these topics uh, whether it's transhumanism and AI or because there there's been a there's been a just deluge of articles appearing in media about the dangers of AI, runaway AI, it's more dangerous than methane bubbles in Siberia. You know, it's more the asteroids are hurtling towards Earth too. There's constant furnace. It all serves as a distraction, including the slaughter of cows in Ireland and the, the shutting down of farms in the Netherlands. On one level, these stories are sensationalized. They're reported in a certain way that uh, disconnects them from any larger narrative having to do with U.S. imperialism and and the dying empire. Uh, the U.S. is faced with BRICS now, and the fact that something like fifty-eight countries have already signed on to BRICS suggests a, a profound hatred and resentment of the United States in the Global South. And 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 yet these things are. Are couched in such a way, presented in such a way that that they become distractions from this this deeper class analysis of um, of imperialism, of U.S. imperialism, and and the growing inequality. I mean, the homelessness in the U.S. is at just breathtaking levels, and yet it's almost it's almost never discussed per se. Corey.
1: Yeah, I just think we will forever underestimate the power of conformity. And I mean, we saw that right away with COVID. I mean, at this point, at this juncture, people just like instantly go on to their phones or social media to see what everybody else thinks. And then they just fall in line with that. Right. And don't yeah. want to go, no one wants to be the target, like Harry says, um, these labels, Trumper, conspiracy theorists. So you just go on and see what your you know favorite person or whatever everybody else is saying, then you fall in line. And I don't know how we ever get out of this because everything's tied into funding. So whoever provides um, whatever is desired by the ruling classes, the ruling class is who gets the money, right? Whether you're an NGO, a think tank, a scientist. It's basically, here's what we want. Here's what we want created, or here's what we want. Here's the ideology we want to create. Um who wants to write the paper for this? And if you're going to go along and give them exactly what they want, you're going to get the money. And if you're not going to, you're getting nothing. right? right. you're you're going to get nothing. So you have everyone um, basically on their knees, right? to uh, yeah. to to these well, institutions,
0: yeah. and and off of that, it also raises this, a topic having to do with, um, <clears throat> with the arts, because uh, I, I have noticed, I often wonder if young artists are, are faced with far larger obstacles than I was faced with in 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, it's much harder to do things today. Part of it is the audience has shrunk and educated, sophisticated audience has shrunk um, dramatically. It's almost non-existent in fact. And I was reading a lot of stuff on Heiner Mueller this week for some reason, uh, the East German playwright and, and um, radical and Mueller's Mü- pretty great and very quotable. And in the course of that, I thought about the state of theater in the United States and in Europe, in the West, the state of film, which is just dead and is dead. And uh, uh, there, where are the Muellers? Where are the Pinters? Where are the Genets? Where are those people that refused we talked about this last time you know why did bob dylan do victoria's secret commercials he certainly didn't need the money i don't think so why do that genet wouldn't have done that it was not part of his entire being was to refuse that stuff so so the, the arts serve as the as the the spear tip to uh, some kind of collective awakening, it, it, you know, it, it, it not through a propaganda, not through opinion, but through the the structural radicalness of of the artist and the sensibility that that artist presents, and that's all gone. It's all gone, and and it's very hard for young artists to not succumb to the promise of a certain amount of funding. If you're gonna get your film made, you know that you have to conform to certain kinds of ideas and you're going to do that. I mean, I think young filmmakers tell themselves, well, if I just make this pro-imperialist piece of Hmm. entertainment later, I will get to make my, you know, (laughs) Pasolini movie. Um, But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It never works that way. It never has worked that way. And you, it's very hard to resist. It's very, very hard. And it, it's harder than it has ever been probably to resist those kinds of things. And uh, actors will take any job. I know actors will take any job offered them. It doesn't matter. I mean, part of it is you have to feed your family. I get it. I get it. But, but um that's a that's a rather profound obstacle for uh for anything to ever change and uh -hmm. at some point somebody has to say um we need we need to begin a process of collectively uh resisting this this template this model and and we have to start telling the truth and we have to we have to value people who do tell the truth, and and we have to accept the lack of popularity as being okay, as maybe a sign of virtue. In fact, um, anyway, Varun, I don't know. I can't you. remember. I I think
4: I related this. Um, I was having a chat with a with an old friend about um, not getting any funding for the films that were essentially a critique of how the establishment works various projects over the years but and this friend of mine was very insistent that i should join an advertising firm and so my simple (laughs) my simple question to this person was whether she would be okay to let somebody be in her life that was continuously lying to her Hmm. and she said no (laughs) And so then I asked, like, why do you think it is okay for me to get into advertising and lie to millions of people all the time, every day? And so right. there is no answer for this, right? Like, so no, she had, no. this person had no answer to this. <laughs> said, yeah. But that's, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is something that we've discussed before is this kind of um, a split in the identity, is that doing something professionally is fine, as long as it doesn't filter into the quote-unquote personal life. Right. right. So
2: right. so a
4: lot of compromise can be made in the professional front, which is the mask of the individual, but in the sense, like, you can make those compromises, as you said before, but the personal standpoint, you would never stand for that in your own mind. Right. And that, right. I think, that's really problematic, and bridging mm. that gap, I think, is very difficult. Um,
0: it is. Johan? Yeah.
4: Yeah, I, I just have a few, like,
2: final reflections, but, but I, I just want to comment on, on Corey's discussion on, on science and scientism here at the end. Because I, I would argue that, sorry, this is from one thing, thing to the other, I guess, but but that science has become an auxiliary ideology of, of capital. And, and then a the reading tips in, in that discussion is, is Paul Feyerabend. He's probably, like, the, the best and, and earliest critic of these developments. But, but he doesn't really get to the heart of the matter. He just describes the, the problem and, and points out the contradictions. So I, in relation to what you guys just said here, Jan and Varun, encountering all of these pathological developments and, and this false uh, persona being created, this divide between between the private life and, and the, the value of capital. We need to counter this with mythology somehow, and, and I would argue that we we do need a, a revival on the level of fundamental worldviews and of myth making that must begin in a genuine communication between human beings and and also between humans and nature, and that is precisely what genuine art can, in, in the best case, help facilitate.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true, and I think it's something we we have talked about um before somewhat that that it probably at this point entails a rejection of of uh, a, a global movement a huge i think there has to be a recalibration of value and and um an integrity at a very small level in very small groups, and and I've spoken before about the artists being like the, the early desert fathers, you know, uh, protecting manuscripts in caves in the desert, uh, where only a dozen acolytes would come and read, uh, if that. And it it feels like that. It feels like there has been a forced retreat of, of, of um, radical consciousness and 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 that retreat means that 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 those who have retreated are, are sort of um, hibernating uh, in a sense because because the system I mean we go back to De Boer I mean he, the spectacle is is um is is pathological it's sociopathic and it's not to be salvaged it's not to be reformed i don't think so what are you left with other than some kind of personal mission to uh to 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 tell the truth in a sense and Mm -hmm. and hopefully you influence x number of people and a few other people you know we get nice letters on this podcast not that we are (laughs) self-ordained truth tellers but i mean it's very nice but we don't have a giant listenership we get x number of people and it's very nice and i value the letters that we get uh but i know that it's that that you you're not going to reach um hundreds of thousands of people unless there are certain kinds of compromises built into to what you do. Um, I value the, you know, Russell Brand, but I also know how corrupt he is. For example, um, I I know I forgive him a lot because for whatever reason I like him, but but I also recognize the problem. Um, you know, Russell Brand is not Dorothy Day, for example, right? He's 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 not. Um, revolutionary and he doesn't embody revolutionary consciousness so so i'm just saying that that you you do what you can and the only strategy i can think of is to keep trying to analyze and and um express what you what you see as the truth as the reality it's that pursuit it is maybe the process that ultimately has the most value and and beyond that i don't have an answer for anyone you know i, I because the consolidation of power globally is profound and if humanity survives it has it's it's not global warming you have to worry about it's it's um advanced capitalism and u.s imperialism that you have to worry about all right final thoughts We're, from everybody right now it's just
4: the, I mean, right now, the steps that can be taken is like, for example, we've spoken about this before, but to stop, stop subscribing to multinational corporations, stop buying that stuff. Like it's, I mean, it's a small thing, but it can work. But the, the longer the time period goes on and the longer this trajectory keeps moving, it's going to come down to people staying hungry so that the system can change, right? And that's a very, that's a really difficult choice to make for people with families. And that's, I mean, in the sense that that's not something that comes easy as a thought in the first place, but to make a decision to say, okay, I'm not gonna do this and this and this, and have myself or my family suffer, that's, that's an almost impossible
0: ask from people, I think. Oh, so sure, it is, sure, it yeah. is. And look, I think that um, I don't. I don't criticize anybody for making deals to make money. I really don't, um, be, because I would probably do it tomorrow if somebody offered me the opportunity. It is maybe uh, salient here that nobody's going to offer me that, uh, but I don't know, you know, and, and it, is, it is my experience that the people who have become most successful in capitalist enterprise, certainly in um, the arts and media, the entertainment, the culture industry, uh, the people who have become most successful were the, were the ones most ambitious, most driven, most almost um, psychotic in their willingness to sacrifice everything at the altar of their ambition. They are the most successful. Um, so success is is a, is a kind of pathology, is a kind of sickness. But, uh, you know, again, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. All right, final thoughts of Johan, Corey, Hiroyuki.
1: Well, I think another problem is just how um, over the past few decades, pragmatism has been normalized. So the more pragmatic one is, the more basically you know sort of academic or elite or um more of a leader in society and then the more radical or you know more person who's unwilling to compromise because there is no room for compromise is considered you know sort of ridiculous um yeah. you know i'm um, hippie whatever like all these drug-free yeah, ideas. Yeah, and so yeah. I think that idea of pragmatism has to be, you know, reframed as like cowardice and unacceptable, you know, in the yeah. face of every of everything that we're facing. I
0: think that's a great point, actually. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, uh, Hiro Yuki and Johan.
3: Well, I, I just, you know, it, it's it's it, I, I really feel the sentiment. It's it's a it's a difficult situation, and um, um, we're seeing this criticism against science and I think it's coming from the fact that uh, if they can't dominate, they would just destroy it, you know? So yeah. um, it's, um yeah, we're being destroyed and uh, in order not to be destroyed, uh, we're going to have to do things, especially um, things are existential because of the social structure we're cornered to be uh suffering from poverty and all those things so you know it's uh it's it's all fits into the picture of this social formation um really this it's it's very really destructive and uh, uh inhumane and uh, this really needs to be understood um yeah that's what we're talking about
0: but i think that's right i think that's right um johan last thought Mm. yeah i I have nothing more to say sorry (laughs) um i just came across uh a little quote i'll read you as my last thought this is husserl edmund husserl and he wrote this book the crisis in european sciences and he wrote it at the end of his life uh, as i recall um you know after National Socialism, it was partly a critique of Heidegger and uh, the betrayals he felt and so forth, anti-Semitism. But it's a a remarkable book and it's somewhat forgotten. So here's the quote, quote, merely fact-minded sciences make merely fact-minded people. The change in public evaluation was unavoidable, especially after the war and we know that it has gradually become a feeling of hostility among the younger generation. In our vital need, so we are told, this science has nothing to say to us. It excludes in principle, precisely the questions which man given over in our unhappy times to the most portentous upheavals, finds the most burning questions of the meaning or meaninglessness of the whole of this human existence close quote uh it's I, yeah this was this is written in the late 40s the early 50s at the latest i forget exactly when um okay uh we'll provide want, a whole bunch
4: one thing to add yes please i just want to say, I, I just want to say if nothing makes sense then eat more mangoes
0: <laughs> i think that's All a right. very good place to end corey
1: I have one thing to add to it's just from our conversation on Telegram earlier in the week by Varun. You've asked this purpose of thought. If everything is in the cloud, all info knowledge is on Google and a set of and a set template of living is already present. Thinking becomes purposeless. The confines of Modern industrial civilization are like itself and has been decoded with mathematics and other science by the scientists. So the individual should just perform what it is told, which is to say, educated. All
0: right. Thank you, everyone. Um, That's a very good place to end, I think. Uh, Thank you, Corey Hiroyuki, Johan in Japan and um varun thanks guys and uh provide links and a thank you to jack Lippman for um helping put this together at the end uh and we'll talk to you all soon thank you, thank yes.
2: you so much guys night. Bye.